Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Uh, we are, looks like Thanksgiving break has started. A lot of students are, are out this morning back home, I'm sure. With students leaving today, like I, I know like a lot of them are traveling. I know a lot of you are traveling this week. Um, and, and thinking about like some of you are excited to travel. Some of you don't want to travel. You're more homebodies. Like, like myself, I'm more of a homebody. I, I love just just being in the convenience and comfort of, of home. Uh, how many of you, like, when you think about going and see the whole world and traveling, or just like even when you travel and go on vacation, your vacation is still like you just want to sit and do nothing? Who's like the homebodies? Some of you? You like, you like just, uh, just to chill. You like home. Home is like you've made it just a sweet place. And, and, and I thought about half of you would kind of be in that. And there's the other half that you're more adventurous. You like to travel and, and you, like, you like to stay busy and see everything. Who's more wired that way? Like you just love, yeah, like, uh, and there's always like this adventure waiting. And, and, and usually like people fall pretty well in those two categories. Like you like just to be home and comfortable, um, and, and, and then there's the people who just love to go and do, and there's always something else out there. Um, as you think about those two groups of people, and they're different, right? I mean, maybe some of your marriages are divided on that. Like, you go on vacation, and one of you wants to just go do-do and see-see-see. C, C, C. The other one just wants to just sit and just rest. I see some nodding. Yeah, like, it can cause strife in a marriage, like on vacations, because you might just be wired differently. Um, I think at the heart of both of those groups of people is the same kind of heart. Like you're both longing for a home. You're, you're, so the ones who travel and go, 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 like, like you're always thinking like that's going to be better and, and that's going to provide something in my soul. Like I'm going to visit that city or or mark this, you know, this thing off my bucket list. Like, I want to go and do and see and conquer. But then this homebody, like, you kind of create home yourself. Like, that's kind of what you're doing. Like, you're creating rest. Like, everything that you think, like, heaven on earth would be, you kind of make it that. And I think at the heart of both of those is the same, that you're just, you're longing for, for home. But, but if, you, if you think about it, like, we're all dislocated. Like, none of us feel completely at rest. Like, even when you go, 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 and you see, like, there's always something else, right? Like, like you get there and you see that thing. And like, Olivia and I, we've got to see some cool things, like, in, in, like while we've been married. Going to Yellowstone, like, that was a cool experience to go see Yellowstone, and, and, and all, you know, all the cool things there, the, the amazing thing God's created, there's still something like you just leave there a little bit empty, like, like those mountains or this scene can't fulfill something in me. I still like, that's not quite home. It's cool, it's amazing, but it's not quite there. Or, or maybe like the homebody, like as you just create your little heaven on earth, like where you are, like there's still, like, you're reminded, like, things break, things aren't right, and there's something empty about that. Like, you're just like, this is not home. 
And it's a reminder for us that, that we're not home yet. Um, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus 25 as we're journeying through this life of Moses. See, God's, he, he created a home back in Eden. And it was perfect. It was amazing. God was there dwelling with his people. And then Adam and Eve, they, they rebelled. And um, at that moment, they were removed from home. They were kicked out of the house, in a sense. And God, you can see this in Genesis 3, they, he kicks them out and he, he, he puts this gate on the east side of Eden and he kicks them out towards the east and uh, doesn't allow them back in. There's, a, there's an angel, in fact, guarding that gate, will not allow them back into Eden. And then so they're on the east of Eden and they begin to live life. They start having kids and uh, they have a boy named Cain and a boy named Abel. And uh, Cain and Abel both realize that they're not yet at home. Like, there's just this unity between them. Cain doesn't like Abel. Cain eventually kills Abel, his brother. And God sends Cain even farther east, sends him to the land of Nod, which is more east. Uh, and then from there on, you just see like, that we're all on this journey, like all of humanity is just, as we've become more depraved, like we're, we're farther east than when we all started. And so this story of Exodus, where the Israelites are, they, they leave Egypt and they're making their way to the promised land, back to, to Israel. It's a journey home. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. Um, title this morning would be Finding Our Way Home, Exodus 25 through 27. And so this is, you know, three chapters. I'm not going to read all three chapters this morning. I thought about it. I actually read it this week just, just to see how long it would take. It would take me a little over 10 minutes. And I really wanted to read it just so you see just how detailed this is. These are three chapters about God telling the Israelites how to create the tabernacle. And so the tabernacle was this portable tent. You remember, they left Egypt, but they're still east of the promised land, east of Eden. And so they're on their way home, and uh, this is really the journey of all humanity. We're, we're all uh, on our way home. Well, at least those of us are who are in Christ. We're all on our way home, and we're still east of Eden, east of the promised land. And so... Um, the tabernacle, God gives the, the Jews, and it, it's pretty amazing when you look at these three chapters and the, all the um, details put into the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was like this huge tent. It was portable where they could move because they're not staying. They're traveling. They're moving, um, trying to get home. Um, and even when they get home, when they get to the land of Israel, they're still not home. Like, there's still brokenness there. It was a picture, but yet it was not the, the real um, uh, promised land. It was not complete rest. And so as we look through these three chapters, you're going to see all these different materials, um, different items that either go outside the tabernacle or inside the tabernacle 
or the tabernacle itself, how it's constructed. And so I, I really wanted to read it just so you could see just the details. So maybe just flip through and look at that, all the details that's put into this. You're going to see different items um, in your Bible that's going to be placed in or around or a part of this tabernacle. And the tabernacle, in some way, it was like this recreation of Eden. It was like God doing again what he did in the garden. And, and, and so you see this recreating Eden, and you're going to see some different items mentioned here. So let's look at this. So first, you're going to see materials for the tabernacle are a reflection of what happened in, in Eden. So let's just go ahead and get some um, foundation here. So chapter 25, verse 1, says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contributions from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine uh, twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lambs, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrance incense, onyx stones, and stones for, uh, for setting, and for ephod, and for the breastpiece, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly how I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, you shall make it. And so, here you see this list of materials for the tabernacle, um, and, and some of these go back to even Eden, like in, when you read the Garden of Eden account, like gold, onyx, so some of these materials are like reflecting back um, to uh, the garden, like God's doing something that he's done before, he's recreating. Uh, then you also see here in, in these three chapters, you see lampstands. Um, now lampstand, when you read it, um, think of like, probably in our minds, a better picture of this lampstand would be like a menorah, like think of the Jewish menorah. So look at verses 31 and following, talk about the lampstand. And so here's this lampstand, look, look, listen to this description. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work, its base, its stem, its cups, its uh, calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its side, three branches of the uh, lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of lampstand out of the other side of it. Uh, and, and so you have this lampstand, you've got three branches over here and three branches over here. And so, again, you think back to Eden, uh, what would the lampstand represent from Eden? Well, you think of, of the tree. You, know, you have the, the tree of life right, right there in the middle. Um, and so here's this lampstand uh, there reminding them of back to the garden. You also see in these three chapters, you're going to see where it says, God said seven times, um, or, or like the Lord said to Moses seven times. Back in the creation account, you see seven times where you see God said, you know, God spoke. 
Um, and then the most important one of all is, number four, is that God is present. That in the garden, God dwelt with Adam and Eve. But because of their sin, he couldn't dwell with them in the same way that he once did. Here, you see God's desires still to be with man. Back in verse 8, so then and let them make, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God's desire is to be with his people. God wants to be with mankind. And so God's, God's saying here, make, make this tabernacle so my heart's desire is still there, that I can be with man. And, and so you see that there's like this picture of Eden, but yet it's not, it's not the original Eden. There's brokenness. It's, it's not the same as we'll see the details of the tabernacle. Uh, it's, it's, there's, it's just different. It's not quite home. And so as we look at these different elements um, within the temple or tabernacle and around the tabernacle, uh, they really show us this incredible picture of who God is. And so let's, looking at 25, if, if you've got a, like a, a copy of, of God's Word in front of you, maybe even an electronic, you'll probably see little, little sections like mine in 25. It says contributions for sanctuary. And then right after verse 9, you see the Ark of the Covenant. Do some of your Bibles have that? And so those are the different items. So let's just kind of walk through those. So he's already talked about some of the materials in 1 through 9. Now he gets into the Ark. Um, for those of you, maybe you've seen Indiana Jones, that first one, there's a lost Ark. You know, this is that Ark that mankind has been intrigued with. Uh, and so here we see the description. of This is when it was when God told uh, the Israelites how to make this ark. And so here it is in verse 10. I want you to see this. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length. A cubit and its half its breadth. And a cubit and a half its height. Uh, and, and, and you see great description. If we just keep reading, you see like how it should be covered with gold and how to make rings so these poles can go through it so you don't ever touch the ark, but you'd carry it by the pole. If you drop down to verse 17, there's this something called a mercy seat. You shall make the mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. The, the mercy seat sat right above. It was on top of the ark. And right below it, like actually down inside the ark, was the Ten Commandments. So it's like the law... And then you saw like mercy and how God was, was, was a God of both mercy and law. Um, and you see great detail. All, all of these items, you're going to see great detail. And I just, it reminds me that, that God did not design Ikea. You ever been to Ikea and like you get those instructions? Like nobody can put anything together from Ikea. When you buy it, like I'm like, I, I, I cannot understand any of these directions. God gives them such specific directions how to make every detail facet of uh, the tabernacle down to you know even the rings where they should be and uh, and so here's here's the ark and this this ark is just this incredible picture of uh, of, of God's mercy upon us that this mercy seat is there 
It's God's holiness that, that, as we'll see in a minute, it's you just can't approach God. And so this ark is holy. Um, and it's a reminder that God dwells with His people. Uh, and so it's this beautiful picture that God wants to dwell with His people, that He's too holy for them to approach, but yet He still wants to be near uh, His people. So you see this ark, and then next you're going to see this table in verses 20, uh, 23 through 30. And so let's read those together. Uh, verse 23, you shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a, a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it, a handbreadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall um, make for it four rings of gold, and the fasten and, and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame, the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. Remember, these, these things aren't permanent. They're going to be moving around. Uh, so these are all portable. And you shall make its plates and uh, dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. So here's this picture of this table. It's so cool. Like, Think about a table, what a table represents. It represents fellowship, represents community, uh, enjoyment, that you're around a table eating, celebrating. And so right when you come into the tabernacle, so you think of this big tent, right when you walk in, you would, one of the items you would see would be uh, this item of fellowship, that God wants to commune with his people. He wants to be there. And so... Um, that the, the, this bread of presence, and so later in Leviticus, we, we see that this table would always have 12 loaves of bread on it, two rows of six, and the bread represented um, the, um, the 12 tribes of Israel, that each son uh, would have uh, a place at the table. Like, man, that is cool. Like, all of God's family is invited to the table. Man, that, that's, just, that's so encouraging that, that no matter your background, if you're in Christ, like you're part of God's family, you're a part of the table. You get to be there with God. Uh, and, and so the table, uh, we, we see this idea of fellowship, community, that we get to be with God. This bread of presence is just there. Um, there's always something there for you. Then next, we see this, uh, this lampstand again. Um, verse 31, let me re just read that again. Uh, you, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work, its base, its stem, its cup, uh, its uh, calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. So here's this idea of this lamp. Um, and... Uh, We'll get to the light in, in a little bit. We'll see a little bit later in the end of 27 um, how the light was 
the, to be lit, but here with this lampstand, it wasn't just this point back to this tree, but it was a, it was a picture of, of it actually be lit. And so the light is on, like you're welcome home. Um, so the table's there. So when you walk into this big tent, uh, you would see this table with 12 loaves of bread showing you like you're part of this family, like there's a place for you. And then you would see this lampstand uh, with this light on, re- representing like that we're going to walk in the light of God, that, that as this temple moves and the light moves with it, that you're walking in the light of God. Um, both of those promised, they were a promise of a relationship with God. The bread of presence, the lampstand offered you a relationship. God wanted a relationship with his people. It broke him that he could not be with man the way he was in the garden. And he was restoring what was broken. Um, and so you see this idea that like, God is offering a relationship. He, he wanted his people to be with them. But here comes the bad news. Um, the bad news is there's this barrier, and that's 26. Chapter 26 is a barrier. You're going to see in great detail in chapter 26 all these curtains um, that were going to be made. And so the tent itself was made of fabric so they could move it around. Um, and so that's the first part of chapter 26. You see great detail of all these curtains and how they're to be overlapped and all the different coloring in it. You'll see blue fabric. Um, and how to even put different, even to the amount of loops so you could hang the pole. Uh, God would instruct them to make 50 loops. I mean, he gave great detail. But there's one curtain that was a reminder, and it was bad news for us. Verse 31. Verse 31, it says, You shall make a veil or a curtain of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linens. It shall be made with a cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on the four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there with the veil, within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy and so again, when, when they get settled in Israel, Solomon is going to make a more permanent tabernacle called the temple. And it's going to be a exact, pretty much an exact representation of, of all of this. It's going to have the same holy place, the most holy place, the holy of holies. And there would be this veil that would separate out there from God. It was too holy. Um, the ark was back here. And so this was the bad news, that, that man was out there, God was in here. He wanted to be near and dwell, but yet you couldn't be too close to God. Uh, and so that's the bad news. The tabernacle wasn't Eden. Um, maybe it was post-Eden, because even you see here that even on that curtain, there's a cherubim, an angel woven into the curtain as a reminder of back in Genesis 3 with the garden. With, there was this gate with a, an angel guarding it saying, you can't come in. 
That's what the veil said. There's an angel saying, you can't come in. God's too holy. You've got to stay out there. So that's the bad news. You can't get too close to God. And, you know, a lot of people live that way. Like, they live in fear of God. They live in, like, uh, I don't want to know who God is. And, and, and Christianity is so different than every religion. The Christianity, we believe we have a God that is intimate, that knows you better than anyone else, better, better than your spouse. You know how your spouse knows you, like, knows the real you? Like, God knows, like, the real you. Like, you can even trick your spouse. Those of you who have been married for 20, 30, 40 years, there are things about you that your spouse doesn't know. If we're just, there's thoughts that go through your mind. Your spouse has no idea you think those things. But God knows you. He knows those thoughts. And so the Christian God is, a, is an intimate God who, who knows his people. Um, but there's this separation. There's, there's a problem. And so 27 is, is the good news. How do we get back home? Chapter 27. Let's look at this. So chapter 27, we see an altar. Verses 1 through 8. That's the next item. So let's read this together. Um, verse 1, you shall make the altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be uh, square and its height shall be three cubits. And you shall make horns for it and uh, on its four corners its horn shall be of one piece with it and you shall overlay it with bronze. You shall make pots for it to receive its ashes and shovels and basins and forks. And fire pans, you shall make all of its utensils of bronze. Uh, you shall also make for it a grating, a network of bronze. And on the net, you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. And you shall set it under the ledge of the altar so that the net extends halfway down the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. And the poles shall be put through the rings, so that the poles are on the two sides of the altar uh, when it's carried. And you shall make it hollow with boards, as it has been shown you on the mountain, so shall it be made. So here's this picture of the altar. Now you remember you got the, um, the ark behind the, the veil. The ark is this picture of holiness, um, it's, it's also this dimensions, like it would be the same dimensions of like the footstool that a throne would set on. So as a reminder, like th this is the king where the king ruled and reigned. And then you had the, the veil separating you from, from the holiness of God. Then you had these two items, uh, the bread of presence and the lampstands showing us this relationship. But the very first thing when you walk in the tabernacle that you would see would be this, the altar. It was like, as soon as you walk in, it was right there. And it was this reminder that you can't go any further until you take care of business. That the altar here was uh, this idea of sacrifice. The solution to the way back home is through the sacrifice of, of, of blood. It would take a blood sacrifice for 
the Jews to make their way back home, to be right with God. And that would be the very first thing that you would see. And it's pointing us to something else. And so the very next thing we see is this court of tabernacle, this courtyard. So in Exodus 27, 9 through 19. In verse 13, uh, it says that the breadth of the court on the front to the east shall be 50 cubits. And so the, court, the courtyard was out where the entry of the tabernacle was. So you'd be in the courtyard first, and the front of it faced the east. So therefore, the front of the tabernacle faced east. So the way back into the tabernacle was always where like the sun would rise... And it would show you, like, it would shine on the way home. And so here's this courtyard showing us, like, we're all to the east. We have to enter in from the east side. And the very last item you see is this lamp. In verse, chapter 27, verse 20 and 21, it says, You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. In the tent of meeting, outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout the generations by the people of Israel. It's interesting that this, the description of how to light the lamp doesn't come after the lampstand. It comes after the altar and the courtyard. Um, and, and it's like the light is lighting the way, but you have to, like, the altar is first. Like, you have to spend time at the altar first. And the altar is, ultimately points us to Christ. That, that think, of, think of every sin had to be covered with a blood sacrifice. All the blood that would have been shed in the Old Testament covenant. Like, just gallons and gallons of blood. And when you think about the priests, just what they look like. I think we, you know, we picture priests maybe today, maybe picture like a Catholic priest in, in, you know, maybe black clothing, white underclothing, representing like purity maybe. These priests would have been a bloody mess. They'd look more like a butcher than like what we picture a priest all the blood that was shed to cover sins. And so all of these items are pointing us, are fulfilled like in Christ. So this altar, like Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. So you think about it. When Christ died, uh, that veil was torn, showing us that now you don't have to keep coming back and making more sacrifices. It was one sacrifice for all, for all your sins. And so now the veil is torn. There's no more separation that you can approach a holy God now through the blood of Christ. Notice you can't slip in through a different door. There's only one door. It's through the east. You've got to go past the altar. The altar is Christ. But once you come through and that blood has been covered, or that the blood covers, then you can approach a holy God. That you can again be with like what Adam and Eve had, like this intimacy with a holy and righteous God through the blood of Christ. 
that you're welcome to this table, the lampstand, the lights, and I just love this picture, this light, like think about Christ, and maybe you've, you've always wondered how like when Christ says that he's light of the world, like what in the world does he mean? Like look, John 8, 12, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Remember that lampstand, it was there showing people where God was. And there was priests there that would always keep that light on 24-7, reminding people like, hey, look to the light, like this is the way home. If you ever come home like late at night, like maybe if you, if you thought through it, like if you know you're going to be out during the day and you're coming back late at night, what do you do? You usually like leave some kind of lamp on, some light in the house so that you can see. And so this is like this picture of God saying, welcome home. Here's the, I'm leaving the light on for you guys. You're out there journeying on the east, and, and you're looking to a lot of other things to where like you want to find rest. But I love, like here's this picture of this tabernacle, and there's always this light on saying, hey, you want to come home? Here's home. And you're looking for a lot of other stuff, and along the way as we go through this journey of Exodus, well, there's going to be a lot of things that distract them along the way. And uh, I think the same is true for us. There's a lot, of, a lot of things that distract us, but God has left a light on for us, showing us where home is, where you can find rest. And rest is in Christ. Christ says, I am the light, the light of the world. And so if, if, if you are that one that like you're that adventurer, that traveler, and, 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 and you love like just going out and looking um, for an adventure or whether you're the homebody, like you're going to find your rest, you're going to find home in Christ. That Christ is going to satisfy all those longings in your heart, um, that he is the light and he's saying, come home. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know if some of you in here, maybe you're far from God. And you're still way out east. God has left the light on for you saying, come home. Stop wandering around. Stop playing a game. Come home. Maybe some of you, you're, you're there, you're in the courtyard. And some of you, you, you keep wanting to make more sacrifices. You keep thinking like, I've got to do more. I've got to do more. To come home. God, the Father's not going to, you know, receive me the way I am right now. I got to keep making all these sacrifices. I'm not good enough. And God, just to you, he's speaking to you saying, come home. My son is sufficient. You don't have to add anything to his sacrifice. It was good enough. It was sufficient. I am, I am pleased with you now. The wrath that I had for you has been atoned for. The altar was was a bloody mess, and his blood was sufficient. Just come home. I want you at the table. So God's inviting you to come, to be in fellowship. Uh, this week, as we, many of us will be celebrating Thanksgiving, just want you to think through all the things you're thankful for, that Christ has done for you, that he's doing for you, that, that, that he's providing. Like Everything that you're longing for, you think, like, maybe Christmas this year, like, if I can just get that thing, this will be the year that, 
My life is just better. Let me just tell you, it's not going to come from Christmas. No matter what long, your heart's longing for, it's got to be found in Christ, that he is this light saying, come home, come to me. Find your value, your worth, your place in Christ. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to keep singing and celebrating. All, like, all of these things point to him. And so let's just continue to celebrate. I'm going to pray after I pray. If you just want to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, if you've never tr- prayed to, to, to trust in Christ, I'm just going to be standing in the back there. I'd love to talk to you. Um, whoever invited you would love to talk to you about how to follow Christ, but it's time to come home. There, there, there's nothing for you out there in the wilderness, just, just more harm. God is calling you to come home, so would you come home today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being uh, the way, the truth, and the life. And we know there's no other way to come home except through you. That all of our hearts' longings are there. There's every longing is deceiving us to thinking that we're going to find something in this world that's going to satisfy us. And Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts this morning. Help us to understand that that home is with you. That we're all on a journey, just like the Israelites were. That we're still east of Eden that we haven't made it to the promised land. And so, Lord, I pray that we would look to the light and just keep following you all the way home. So, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us this morning with the gospel, convict us of our sins, help us to repent and trust in you. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.